0: Welcome to After Hours at the Radio Book Club, which is a podcast a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran of KGNU. As always, my co-host Arson Kashkashian of the Bookstore joining us. We're live, live at the Boulder Public Library for a very special event with Andrew Sean Greer, Pulitzer Prize winner. I have to put that out there. His new book, which is the sequel to the Pulitzer Prize winning Less is Less is Lost. And uh, we're here, we're going to have some audience questions. Did you go through a whole list, more or less, more of less? I mean, you know, there's so much fun you can have with that name.
1: I, d- I thought of more of less. Yeah, that, that seemed like a real possibility. But I like, as you can tell from the writing, I, lo- I think alliteration is so ridiculous. So I had to go with less is lost.
2: You know, the good thing is you could do more of less at any time. That could be like. 30 years from now, the eighth Arthur Less book.
1: I, it is my plan to not write one yet, <laughs> but just sort of pass it to my future self when I'm out of ideas.
0: We could always get a change.org petition going, you know, we need, we need more of less, so we'll, we'll figure that out. But we have some audience questions here. Uh, please tell us about your shoes. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor, poor, poor listening audience. They're super bright blue, stretchy sock sneakers that I got at a secondhand store in San Francisco because I have a bunion.
2: We should get a picture of the shoes, we not will. the bunion. you will get a the, picture of the shoes for the website.
0: A pity we couldn't get a smell of the air freshener that's going with the book too. There's so many different senses been stimulated yeah. by, by Andrew Sean Greer this evening. But I have a bunion too, and I'm fascinated by your shoes. I
1: recommend it. It's so see how stretchy it is. You know, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> and if you Scotch guard them as I did about an hour ago, you can probably smell that too. <laughs> um yeah you're you're free in the world
0: very lessian i might add because i love how you've made you know less into so many very the use of language around the word less so they're they're very lessian i would say
1: yeah they they're vulgar <laughs> <laughs> which is how i like to dress but
0: well, we have more questions from the audience
2: yeah i like this one do you feel extra pressure when writing a sequel to a book that won the pulitzer like is this book not a success if you don't get the Nobel Prize?
1: <laughs> no, 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 that's great. That's a great question, because I'm good. I'm good. I don't need any other awards. Give mm-hmm. them to other people who have, who have other books. I got, win, I have to tell you, winning the Pulitzer Prize is so fantastic, okay. I don't need anything else.
0: <laughs> tell us the story of where you were when you heard that you had won the Pulitzer Prize.
1: Oh, it's so embarrassing. Um, I was working outside of Florence at an artist residency, director of the place, but I worked for a Baronessa, and um, who's 96 now, she was probably 92 at the time, and she had an incontinent pug who would decorate the kitchen while we were having dinner. We were all very used to it, but Margaret Atwood was coming. And I thought, this won't do, so I ordered some diapers from China that had like suspenders on them and had like rhinestones and rainbows, and I thought the Baronessa will like that. So this was my first night training the dog to wear the diapers. And I had just tucked the dog into bed with the Baronessa when I went downstairs and my boyfriend showed me his phone that, said, that had the, the headline from the San Francisco Chronicle, I don't remember what it was, about the Pulitzer Prize. And I said, well, that's not true. <laughs> and I looked at my phone, because I don't know when the Pulitzer Prize happens. You know, it was not something I thought about. And uh, it was full of uh, all kinds of emojis and calls. And it was all like, fireworks, dancing lady, watermelon. You know, not helpful. <laughs> but I did see that Michael Chabon had called me, who's a friend of mine who'd won the Pulitzer Prize in 2001, I think. So I called him. And he was like, am I the person telling you? <laughs> yes, because they like don't call you. You're just supposed to be tuned, I guess. I wasn't. I was with the bug.
0: That, se- that segues perfectly into another question from the audience. In what ways are you similar to Arthur? I mean, that story is straight out of Arthur less. It,
1: right, it is. I am a very awkward, clumsy person. I'm, uh, I do have a certain uh, innocent way of going through the world that gets me into um, trouble and um, is sometimes funny and sometimes painful. But he really has my best and worst qualities. He's a much kinder person than I am, I think. And that he's, um, but he's much more clueless um, and can do damage to people for that reason. I'm pretty aware. Like, you know how a lot of people, you're in the, in the, in the supermarket and you're going down the aisle and you're taking up the whole aisle to look at a thing of spaghetti? That's not me. I always know if someone else is coming down the aisle. Like, I'm spidey-sensey. Anxiety. So. <laughs> I give him my best and worst qualities and I leave out the stuff in the middle. So he doesn't wrangle a pug into pajamas, but he does get a pug.
2: Is there, is there anybody else out there that Les is partially based on? Is there, you know, when you, when you created him, is there anybody besides kind of your own experiences that you thought of to put into him? Well,
1: I have an identical twin brother who is very similar to me, but he's, he's so, such, he's a very sweet man and um, he always has a kind of worried expression on his face so a little bit of it's
0: more him than me (laughs) so somebody asks what was your favorite place that you visited while researching the book you know i liked
1: bisbee uh
0: arizona ever heard of it ever been there
1: i mean i was just a place on the map to park my rv (coughs) And then it was so beautiful and charming and there was like a rock and roll show and I went out with the band members to a bar afterwards and there was a great cinnamon bun in the morning. I mean it was just, it was a, it was, and when you travel you realize these places are everywhere and you just start, you, there's no time to see them all and, but it's great to discover them.
0: Did you almost fall, I don't want to say that you ever fell out of love with America, but did, you, did it change your relationship when you did a road trip, especially through some of these communities that I would imagine were not on your must visit list prior to researching the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Nebraska. <laughs> like America, it doesn't show it on the map, but America is 70% Nebraska. <laughs> uh, although I did go line dancing in Nebraska, that was fun. Uh, but there's, I've taken out the long stretches that we've all done in a road trip where it says, you know, no gas or water 100 miles, and you think, this is the end.
2: <laughs> How did you start those conversations on your road trip? One of our, one of our uh, people in the audience wants to know.
1: You know, it was shocking. It took nothing at all for people to tell me their darkest secret. <laughs> like about two sentences, and they would say, like, I just wish I hadn't given up my little girl when I was... 18 you know like these these very painful stories they would tell to me a stranger and I trying to think how I started it usually are you from here you know and then do you have any family which works well on taxi drivers around the world because they'll show you pictures while they're driving Um, (laughs) but it brought tears to people because a lot of people do have family they they gave up a child or they don't know their parents they were also adopted that was a lot of stories Um, and Yeah, people, some, I think I'm a very neutral presence. They're like, well, he'll never tell anybody.
0: (laughs) Did they know you're a writer?
1: I mean, I got a notebook, but (laughs) I'm just a stranger passing through.
0: Okay, so authors seem to obsess over or avoid reviews. Where do you fall? Is there a review that has stood out to you?
1: Oh, yeah, I now uh, avoid them. I know I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, when the, like even this book, when it first reviews came out, I had to see them because you don't, we all, the problem is we don't know what we just wrote. That's part of the question. It's like, what do people think it is? Because we've made this thing out of our head, but we're not quite sure. Um, and then I cut it off, so I feel like I've grown up. I'm not reading, and apparently there's a review in The Guardian that I won't like, and I. I'll look at it years from now. I think my favorite review was in the New York Times when they called me um, an eloquent (laughs) softy. And I was like, that's true, but that sounds like it's a bad thing, you know? And I I was on book tour and every bar I would go to, I would say like, could you make up a drink for me that's called an eloquent (laughs) softy? they were disgusting <laughs> don't do that
2: so you said in the radio interview you went to Alabama because you like to go to places that scare you now you're starting your book tour in Boulder why why, why is Boulder the start of it or the you know, your first stop really or your first live event and uh, how was that chosen, or does it just showed up on your schedule? You know what,
1: what was great about this tour is that before we were talking about how authors just go to New York and Washington and LA. Not me. <laughs> I mean, this tour. What they did was they asked bookstores to say, "Do you love? Do you, did you love the last book? Do you, or do you want to have them?" And in New York and LA, they're like, "Whatever. We got a million writers. He can come to the store if he wants." But like, so my book tour is. Boulder, St. Louis, Oxford, Mississippi, Winston-Salem, Milwaukee, Nashville, um, you know, it's, it's going to be fantastic.
0: And are you driving around in a camper van called Rosina <laughs> with a pug on your lap?
1: And that would take too long. I did suggest it, but not a, not a 70s Westphalia.
2: So I have a question that wasn't asked, but I'm going to ask it for Stephanie over there. It's her birthday. So there's a scene in the book where a character is telling Freddy about he had to choose, because of his heart condition, either love or cheese, and he chose cheese. (laughs) What would you choose?
1: I would definitely choose love, because like, what if you became lactose intolerant, (laughs) and then you've got nothing? Uh, yes. What if it
0: was something like chocolate or wine?
1: Oh, I always worry I'm not going to be able to have wine. You know, that I'll reach an age where it doesn't happen anymore. I don't know.
0: Let's not contemplate no. that. Let's bring it down the stairs. <laughs> Why are you taking me <laughs> to dark places? Okay, we're going to bring it back up. We're bringing you back up. Okay. A world without wine. <laughs> so another question: As a lover of books, do you think it's good for people to be reading less? I'm assuming that's some level of pun oh, here. Is, I, it, I, is I, it capitalized? I, I felt that my delivery there. Yes, the last is capitalized. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, uh, I don't understand the
0: question. <laughs> Read the book. It's a great book. Okay. okay. So another one. This is very specific. How was your experience at CUTBANK and the University of Montana with writers like I think it's Ed Skug and J. Robert Lennon formative for your humor?
1: Wow. Someone here is from Missoula, or went got their MFA there.
2: Yeah, there you are.
1: Yeah, I went to Missoula, Montana. I graduated in 1996, and some of my colleagues um, Ed Skoog is a, is a poet. You won't know him, but that means he's a well-known poet. Um, and J. Robert Lennon is, a, is a, a writer and a friend of mine who has um, a, a wildly eclectic and intelligent um, group of books, and he's incredibly. Pr- prolific too. It's been really fun to watch, to watch um, us all grow up and still do it. Because it's hard to figure out how to do. Money is usually the problem. And uh, you could hear all the list of grants and things that I've gotten. That means I didn't have a job. Um, and it's, when we see each other, it's just like, I can't believe we're still here, you know.
2: If you have writer's block, this is a question, if you have writer's block, how, how do you break the block? Or do you never have writer's block?
1: I just do it anyway and I certainly have had I had a real like depressive period right before last started and I was like I couldn't write so I walked around and I with a notebook and I just paid attention and wrote down funny things people wrote on the sidewalk or like there's a a wind vane that's shaped like a whale or just anything that I could notice somebody's lost cat and that is gets you back into the right thing it's all about paying attention, not always to yourself, but to things outside of you.
0: And do you pay attention to, You know what people are saying? Because some of the phrases in the book are just so funny, and I wonder these things that you've picked up. Like there's a woman who says, I can't remember what the context was, if it's her catchphrase or philosophy, and hers is no, 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 but it's K-N-O-W, no, N-O, so no, uh, I, no, I can no. tell you where that came okay. from.
1: That was, that was my, my, I, something that I wrote, in a previous novel one night when I was sitting and thought I was such a genius and I was at the end of the paragraph I wrote, no, no, no. And then the next morning I looked at it and I was like, that is crap. (laughs) And so when I thought of what a funny philosophy would be, was like, oh, I got one.
2: Well, unless Les Les keeps saying no, no, no with three N's, which is hilarious. I've tried to
1: read that aloud, and it doesn't
0: really make sense. Do (laughs) it (laughs) in German. Yoda German. Okay, this is a long one, so I hope I deliver it right. This is a question from the audience. I teach AP Lit, and we just finished covering narration and point of view. Les is one of my favorite narrative points of views because... It made me think about how our faults are affectionate through the lens of people who love us. So how did you decide on the narration style unless did you experiment with any other points of view or narrators? Thank you, the person wrote, wow. because they're appreciative of your answer.
1: Wow, what a, it's a very smiley technical face. question. I'm glad there's a smiley face. I'll keep it short because this is boring if you don't care about this kind of thing. Um, luckily, I, I, only, I always knew the way I wanted to write less. Um, I knew that if I was going to make fun of the character, that it, could, it should be from someone outside of him. That would be funnier that way, because if he makes fun of himself, it, there's some self-pity to that, I, it was beyond me. Um, and it's, a, it's also great because it's a narrator who can sometimes be omniscient, sometimes go into Les's head somehow, magically, and then also be his own character in the book, which means I've got like three points of view in one that's very flexible.
2: Did you always have Freddy? I mean, did you know that, like how, how long did it take you to come up with that particular point of view as, as Freddy? Or was Freddy come up at the same time as Les? They came, they came
1: up together. They were, in the first version of this, it was an omniscient narrator, a much, serious or much more serious book. Les was, and they were both characters. So, um, so when I made it a comedy, it just seemed obvious to me that, that that, that's the narrator. Also, it was helpful to make Freddie an English teacher, maybe an AP English teacher, because then I could put in all kinds of literary jokes that readers would, some readers would get. And this one's full of, uh, Les' Las' is Less, full of American literature jokes. Like, there's a lot of Moby Dick.
2: <laughs> you know, I was in the store today, and I just heard these two women talking. They were probably in their 20s. And one of them said to the other one how terrible Moby Dick was. There was just 10 pages at the beginning of story and 10 pages at the end and 500 pages of whale in between. <laughs> and and I, I didn't say anything. I was like so tempted to say like, she's wrong. But
1: I have to say like, I had read some of it in AP Lit in, in, in high school and I hated it. And then I reread it for less. I reread a lot of, American literature and it is a hoot no one said it's hilarious like everyone's like it's the most important book no it's not important it's hilarious it's kidding and I think once I understood that it was all I just I I read it all at once it was a joy
2: you know so that kidding is part of like where I think readers do have some problem with comedy do you have people who've misread less or not realized it was supposed to be funny
1: yeah usually it's in a forum like this when the Q&A <laughs> where someone, where I get accused of, of something of not being funny often, but like okay, so not, like, not everybody gets the joke. Um, and I think if you really skim it quickly, it maybe if you're looking for a lot of action, you're not going to get that.
0: That's the sense I got from that Guardian reviewer. I was like, they haven't read it or they've completely missed the point of that book. I got annoyed on your behalf, so okay, you don't need to read you. anymore. To read we have it. lots of people who would be proxies and just get annoyed on your behalf, so you don't have to read them. Um, there are so many different modes of transit in the two books. I mean... In the first book, last he's flying, you know, to all these different places. In this book, obviously, he's on a road trip in his little van called, you know, Rosina. But then there's the train, cross-country train as well, which is a huge part of American mythology, especially heading out west. Did you do the train journey as well? I did the train
1: journey too. That was the last, my first draft didn't have a train journey. And then... Uh, my second draft I was like I need to research this so I talked my mom into taking the train from San Francisco she got off in Chicago but I went all the way to Harpers Ferry Virginia basically the coast that's where my dad lives and um, uh, it was I just had a great time my mother did not (laughs) she did not enjoy the food and um, she did not enjoy her reading material yeah she did not enjoy um, how that we were nine hours late into Chicago and that she had to stay overnight somewhere. Yeah.
0: We, we think your mom missed the point of train travel. Well, I kept
1: telling her that, you know, it turned out that she had, um, she had I can't say these things on the radio. It's the podcast,
0: it's fine. Yeah, yeah, she got, she'd
1: actually caught a disease and was sick. So that's why she was miserable and it had nothing to do with her. But th- that's a good point, like don't blame it on your reading material. Look, with, look at your gut biome. <laughs>
2: I've got one last reader question here. Um, what have you learned about yourself as a writer while writing this novel, and how how has have you evolved, you know, through the process of this? It, you know, what are your own books' teachers? Do, I think you know, know
1: what I always I always wanted to be clever, and I realized that, that I wasn't. That I was uh, emotionally proficient, and that I could write a nice sentence. And in these, I think I finally got to be clever because I, 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 I've enjoyed language so much that most of the jokes are language jokes. It's not always a moose in a pool. And, and I didn't know I had that talent. And that was really, uh, that was pleasant after all these years to be like, oh, I could be a little clever if you give me five years.
0: Well, one last question, lots of people asked. I think we kind of talked about it. Is Arthur Less coming back? Will there be a third? Do we have to get a change.org petition going here? What's, <laughs> what's happening?
1: Uh, not yet. The next one, my agent also, she said, now the next one's not a Less novel, is it? You know, she never remembers this properly. She claims this doesn't happen. And I said no, because the next one, the material I have right now is about Italy, so um, it's, a, it's a book set there, but it's not Arthur Less.
0: Well, it's been an absolute delight to have Andrew Sean Greer join us live at the Boulder Public Library for a live audience taping, the first of many uh, book tour talks you're going to be giving. We're delighted that you're kicking off your tour for Less Is Lost here in Boulder, Colorado. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much
1: for having me.